Let us open our Bibles in Isaiah 5 to read verses 1 through 7 to prepare our hearts for the sermon. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. Now, let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared and clear out, out his stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but he brought forth wild grapes. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more? could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dark, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Let us continue our reading, this time in the New Testament. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. I am going to start from verse 1 so that we have a better understanding of the context. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffer such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, 
but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now our passage. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Word of the Lord. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, are we more righteous than the Christian churches in Russia and Ukraine suffering from the war? Are we more righteous than the churches in China suffering from persecutions? What about the churches in Nigeria suffering at the hands of Islamic terrorists? What about those in Liberia, in Congo, facing civil wars, epidemics, and many other calamities? Are we less sinful than them? The answer is no. How can we know? For us Reformed Christians, my questions border absurdity and even considerable pride. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should mourn for them, pray for them, and help them as much as we can. You might wonder, why those questions? Why? Because that's how many thought in Jesus' time and still think today. The prosperity gospel people, for example, think that way. Which way? The way of pagans and of the Jews of Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, many Jews thought that calamities happen only to the extremely sinful. Abundance was a sign of blessing, and calamity was a sign of curse from God. The rich were the ones who pleased God, and the ones dying in horror were the sinners par excellence that God had cursed. Jesus had to confront that mindset during his ministry. How did it happen? He was on his journey to Jerusalem to die for our sins. On his way, he was giving various teachings. 
After the Pharisees accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, Jesus started a series of stern teachings. And one of those teachings was on the necessity of repenting before the arrival of God's judgment. Amid those teachings, some people interrupted him. They talked to him about some calamities that had recently occurred. Wicked Pilate had killed some Galileans while they were in the process of offering a sacrifice to God in the temple. Jesus, as usual, surprised the people with his answer. He told them, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners? No, was his answer, unless you repent you will likewise suddenly perish when you expect it the least and you will not be able to make things right with God. Lest you think that those calamities happen only to Galileans, let me tell you that a tower in one corner of Jerusalem suddenly fell and killed 18 people. Do you think that those people were the greatest sinners in Jerusalem? No. Unless you repent, you will also suddenly perish like them without the opportunity to make things right with God. This call to repent when we still have the time is the focus of today's sermon. Therefore, it is my assignment to minister God's words to you under the following theme. The Lord warns us, repent now before it is too late. The Lord warns us, repent now before it is too late. Under this theme, we see two points. First, the Lord has been patient enough. And second, the Lord gives us another opportunity. The Lord has been patient enough. The Lord gives us another opportunity. Our first point, the Lord has been patient enough. In the first verse of our text, we read, and he told this parable. We understand that Jesus, as a great teacher, is trying to impress on his listeners how urgent it is for them to repent. Like all good teachers, he is now using an illustration. And this parable is that illustration. Jesus continues by saying, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. In this clause, we notice many things. What are they? What do we notice about the fig tree? The fig tree was not a wild fig tree that grew up on its own somewhere in the wilderness. Someone had planted the fig tree. Where was the fig tree planted? The tree grew in a vineyard, in a kind of garden. I guess many of you know what a vineyard is. <laughs> what was, but for children, what was a vineyard? A vineyard at that time was a ground that a gardener or vine dresser 
took care of by fertilizing it, tiling it, and removing weeds. And what was the job of the vine dresser? It was to do all that was necessary to make the ground fertile, to make a good place for the fig tree and the vine to grow. Next we read, And he came seeking fruit and it found on it and found none. The owner of the vineyard came and found no fruit. The Greek of the text here implies that the man kept coming season after season, week after week. He came looking inside the tree and he found nothing. He had to come close to the tree because the, because the, tree, the, the fig trees were sometimes difficult to see from afar, especially when the tree was leafy. But after multiple trips to inspect the tree for fruit, he could find no fruit. Then what did he do? We read that in verse 7. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruits on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should he use up the ground? So the owner talked to the, the, owner talked to the vine dresser, the one taking care of the vineyard, and he said, See, for three years now, I have been coming again and again inspecting this tree, and it has produced nothing. Enough with this ungrateful tree. Please cut it down. It is using up space, taking up our time and using the nutrients that the other vines could have used. Now, was the owner impatient? No. Three years was sufficient time. Fig trees in that place of the world produce food twice per year. But this fig tree had produced nothing for three years after reaching maturity. Thus, the owner was not at all impatient. He had waited for long enough, but the tree has disappointed him. Not once, not twice, not thrice, but six times. How will you feel? If you were that owner, owner, please, sorry for my pronunciation, coming to inspect the tree many times per season and having your, your expectations crushed for six seasons. You invest time and money and you have nothing in return. I am sure you will be very much frustrated and probably you will not even wait to be disappointed for six seasons. Imagine then that you are an employer, you have your own company, or you lead a department in a big company. You go through the process of hiring an employee. From the first day of work, he receives all the benefits, and you train him. But for three years after the hiring, the employee remains unproductive. He said, do nothing. He shows up to work daily, but that's all. He's very keen on work conditions, 
taking holidays and having a race, but he produces nothing. What will you do with such an employee? Scripture sometimes portrays Israelites as the Lord's vineyard, just as we have, we have read in the, church or in, the, in the text of Isaiah. And they are also portrayed as the vine planted in Israel. These clues and the context of our text help us understand that this situation of unproductivity, despite heavy investment, was the situation of God's people collectively and also individually. God has shown patience and grace to the church for centuries. God called Abraham from the heathens. Out of Egypt, God freed his people. From Babylon, he brought them back. God sent them also prophets day in and day out, rising up early in the morning, telling them to repent, to turn to the Lord. When the fullness of time had come, he sent John the Baptist, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Prepare the way of the Lord. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Repent. Finally, when Jesus himself arrived, he had been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he was on his track to the ultimate sacrifice for God's people, calling them to repent before it is too late. Jesus addresses us today with the same call to repentance. As a community, we have received so much from the Lord. He has made us his covenant people. We have been hearing the gospel since the time of our conception for many of us. As a covenant community, are we producing fruits in line with repentance? Are we becoming more and more Christ-like, increasingly faithful? Is Christ exalted among us? Or do we take God's blessings for granted? Are we bringing the world into our community? Are we importing the world's mindset, the world's taste, and the world's priority? The call applies to us to as individuals. Are we, as individuals, fighting hard against our indwelling sins, against our secret sins? Are we serving God's people out of love for Christ? Do we love in word and in deeds? At the community and at the individual levels, the Lord expects us to bear fruit. He has been giving us what we need to be fruitful. So people, let us not be ungrateful. Let us summarize what we have seen so far. We have seen that Jesus uses the imagery of a barren fig tree planted in a vineyard to impress upon the people the urgent need 
to repent. Then we saw that the barren fig tree represents God's people as a community and also as individuals. We apply the call to repentance to ourselves as covenant people and as individual members. Now, let us proceed. For good reasons, the vineyard owner wants the vine dresser, the gardener, to cut down the fig tree. Children of the congregation, with I cut the tree, are you listening? Will they cut the tree? No. That's the answer. They will not. Why will they not cut the tree? Let us see in our second point. The Lord gives us another chance, our second point. Something interesting happens in verse 8 and 9. We read, and he, meaning the vine dresser, answered him, the owner, saying, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The vine dresser, the one sweating in the vineyard, starts interceding for the barren fig tree. He requests the owner to give him, to give the fig tree another year. That is two seasons to produce fruit. The vine dresser intercedes after working on the tree for three years, or for more than three years, please. Remember that the tree is a mature tree that is more than three years old. The three, the three years spoken of in our text are not only the year, uh, just only the years when the tree was supposed to produce fruit. So the tree became mature, and then the tree was given three years to produce fruit without producing fruit. Thus, we understand that the tree does not deserve at all an extension. But the vine dresser wants to go the extra mile of the extra mile. How? He wants to dig around the tree to loosen up the, the soil. But it is not all. He wants also to further enrich the soil around the tree with manure. Fig trees did not need manure to produce fruit, except this one. Let us return to the illustration we use in our first point. You are a boss, you have an employee, and you have been paying him without any productivity in return. When the time to sack him comes, will you give him an additional year? Will you give him the opportunity to develop his skills? Will you give him new tools? No. Most people will say, sorry, the door is open. You had three years. I have given you improved work conditions. I have been paying you. Sorry, we hire someone else. But in this parable, what happened? The owner of the vineyard as well as, and the vine dresser accept to give an extra opportunity to the tree. Although 
the likelihood of production is extremely low. Dear congregation of the Lord, this is a picture of our God. He is patient beyond measure. He does not delight in the death of the rebellious, but he wants the sinner to repent and live. Our God is rich in loving kindness. God manifested this great patience toward the church of old. That's why he could send them prophets after prophets, bring them back from Egypt, from Babylon, and incline the heart of the Romans not to destroy them completely. That's why God sent his son, knowing that he will come and people will crucify him. Who can be so patient and gracious? No one can. God alone can. But God's patience has limits. We never know when it runs out. The church of old did not realize that God's patience was running thin. Instead of repenting, what did they do? They killed the Christ and persecuted his apostles, provoking God's wrath to the extreme, showing that they had become a false church. Ultimately, in AD 70, God's fury fell upon them like a volcano. Something very similar happened with the churches in the East, those churches that Jesus warned in the book of Revelation. The same thing happened to the churches in Northern Africa. So all of Northern Africa and even the Middle East, which is now the Muslim world, all of that was Christian. But it's no longer the case today. Because God's patience has boundaries. Therefore, considering the boundaries of God's patience, we should sober up. As a community and as individuals, we must refrain from taking God's patience for granted. The fact that God is not punishing us immediately for every single sin does not mean that he is happy with our sins. His patience is supposed to lead us to repentance. Those who take God's patience for granted only accumulate wrath against themselves. Brothers and sisters, let us turn to Christ today. As scripture tells us, Christ is supreme and in him we have all that we need for life and godliness. So let us turn to him. We must just ask him and he will produce in us fruit by his Holy Spirit. He will give us the energy, the wisdom, the discipline that we need to use the means of grace and to be fruitful covenant community members. We should not presume on God's patience, much less when we are reformed, when we believe that Repentance is a gift. In other words, since repentance is not in our power, it is better for us to turn to God now, asking Him to incline our hearts to Him. Because we do not know 
we do not we do not know whether we'll be able to suddenly switch repentance on when calamity strikes or when death comes before we end we should understand that this call to urgent repentance is in fact a call to gratefulness which parent will not warn his child who is getting engaged on the wrong path how will you react if you see your toddler trying to put a steel nail into a powerpoint into a power plug how will you react if you see your teenage trying to take a picture dangerously close to the edge of a cliff Jesus love for us his people is by far deeper than any love that we could ever produce as parents that's why in scripture he is the one who speak the most about God's judgment the most about hell that's why he is calling us to gratefulness today by warning us shouldn't we be grateful for all that God has done for us he sacrificed his son for us when we were still dead in our sins and trespasses he allowed us to hear the gospel preach he granted us to be in a faithful confessional church he gave us parents who did not abort us but taught us the gospel we live in canada one of the most abundant places in the world we have so many things we have access to so many resources to grow in faith to develop our gifts for the kingdom of god shouldn't we pray to jesus to make us bear fruits in keeping with repentance how ungrateful will it be for us after receiving all these blessings to remain barren how ungrateful will it be to be near church goers absent members of the congregation please dear people of god let us be grateful to christ he has been doing so much for us let us make it our aim to request him constantly to make us barefoot out of gratefulness whenever calamity strikes a hand us let us remember how gracious god has been to us and let us use calamities difficulties a hand us to encourage ourselves let us use them to spur us on toward gratefulness conclusion what is the sum what is the summary of this sermon this passage teaches us how jesus confronted the pagan mindset making the jews think that calamities strikes only the greatest sinners he used the parable of the barren fig tree to teach them that they must they must repent when it is still possible he taught them that they should show gratefulness to god when he is near as the prophet isaiah says seek the lord when he is near 
lest they be also surprised by, cal by calamities and die as enemies of God. We saw that Jesus' call to repentance also applies to us as the covenant community and as individual members of the covenant. And as application, we saw that we must turn to Christ today in repentance. He died for our sin and has been investing so much in our lives. Let us therefore not be ungrateful like the barren victory, lest we perish like the church of old. Instead, let us produce the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit in keeping with repentance, to the joy of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, to the satisfaction of Christ, our gracious Lord, our exalted Lord, and to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your warnings. For we understand that it is through these warnings that we are preserved. We confess that we are not preserved by the warnings simply because we are very smart, because we are wise. But we are preserved by the warnings because of the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit that inclines us to listen, to hearken the warnings, to tremble and turn away from our evil ways. Lord, we confess that we cannot produce repentance on our own. But your Holy Spirit is powerful enough. Your Holy Spirit is able to change us, to transform us. Your Holy Spirit is able to empower us, to give us the strength to say no to the world. Oh Lord, please, because of your Son Jesus Christ, work in our hearts. Your word says that when we were still dead in our sins and trespasses, you sacrificed your son Jesus Christ for us. How much more will you then do to preserve us now that your son Jesus Christ lives and much more is seated at your right hand, interceding continuously for us? Lord, since it has pleased you to give us the grace to hear your gospel preach to make us members of your covenant people. It has pleased you to bless us so much, even though we do not deserve any blessing except condemnation. We pray you, O oh Lord, to continue for your namesake, for the glory of your name, to pour upon us as a community and also as individual members your blessings for us to walk in obedience, for us to be fruitful continuously. Lord, grant us in our daily lives the energy, the wisdom that we need 
to discipline ourselves, to use the means of grace as we ought, the hearing of your gospel preached, and, and your word, the reading of your word, prayer, participation in, in the Holy Communion, and, and also service, fellowship, to use all those means that you place around us to grow in the knowledge of your glorious name and to draw closer to you. Help us, Lord, we pray, because without you, we can do nothing.